to me it felt like a moment between me and this beautiful predator it wasn't for the media or the papers or, or anything like that that's the first question did you take a photo and so it immediately puts you on the defensive because when you say no people say well, it didn't happen you're on the back foot of what's your little story welcome to big cat conversations We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 62 of Big Cat Conversations. This one is coming to you in late October 2021. In this edition, we are looking into some big cat reports of Cheshire and in particular the Wirral Peninsula. The Wirral is immediately west of Liverpool, so the ferry across the Mersey, as in the Beatles song, is referring to the link to the west to the Wirral from Liverpool. We have two guests to guide us through their encounters. Later on we'll be hearing from Matt about his encounter 18 years back, but also about his checking for signs of big cats potentially during his walks and visits around the area. First of all, we welcome Ben, who had a much more recent sighting, which we're about to discuss. So, Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. Happy to be here. Thank you, Ben. And actually, before we get into the sighting itself that you had back in January this year, I think it was, can we let uh, listeners know about your previous thoughts about Big Cats? Because, in fact, you actually know Matt, our second guest, and you've linked him to us, which is very nice of you. So presumably you were primed for this a bit by your friendship with Matt and your knowledge of his earlier sighting. Is that right? I have known Matt a very long time. I met up with Matt quite some time after he had had his sighting. And when he first told me about it, I was in a bit of disbelief really towards it initially, but I was I was uneducated at the time about the presence of cats in the local area. Matt's told me a number of times about his experience and I kind of started to believe his, his story. And that's led on to me slowly but surely learning a little bit about the presence of the cats in my local area. And then certainly with my encounter, that's just sparked off a whole new learning curve for myself and brought Matt and myself together on the subject very closely, you know. Did you feel that he had seen something, but it wasn't a big cat? It was just too much of a shock, was it? Too astonishing to believe for you, was it? It was too astonishing to believe, but Matt and I have experienced some very strange things in our life together. Uh, We've seen some things that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't see themselves. One quick story was a potential sighting of an unidentified flying object on the Lynn Peninsula. Uh, We both sat there and saw this thing happening in the sky at the same time. So I know Matt's stories are viable and he is a very trustworthy person but at the time i did think maybe you just mistaken it for a large dog or something at the time i think i was just a bit naive to what was going on around us and and yeah i think i was a little bit in disbelief at the time of matt's actual sighting and probably in my own mind trying to put it off as something else you know as we know that's quite natural for an average british citizen it isn't something that we grow up being versed in is it Yeah, that's it. Yeah, great. Well, maybe we should just fast forward then to January 2021 when you had your sighting. Can you tell us all about it? The 19th of January 2021, 
7.30 to 7.45 it was. The Wirral itself is an array of country lanes linking up different areas, different towns. You know, I frequently use these country lanes with my career as an electrician um, to get various different places. It's quicker than going on the main roads, you know, traffic lights and build up of traffic and things. And yeah, this one particular evening, I was coming home. I just turned in to a particular country lane. There was a little pulling bit to the side, uh, lay by about 200 yards away from quite a main road and built up area. And I was turning my internal lights on in my car, looking through my glove box for my phone charger. And then I kind of sat up, plugged my phone charger in, put my phone on to charge, and then just became aware of something about 15 metres in front of my car. Initially, I thought it was somebody's dog in the centre of the lane. So I turned my internal lights off. And then as I turned my internal lights off, obviously then I've just got my dipped head beams on and my vision got better. And that's when I was aware of the reflection of the eyes and the width apart of the eyes. And then I became aware of the size of the animal that was in front of my car. Sorry, I'm actually coming out in goosebumps whilst I'm talking about this. Then I kind of started focusing and thinking, is this somebody's dog? I mean, it all happened very, very quickly. As I'm describing it, it sounds like it's like it's gone on for a good while, but it, ha- it hadn't really. But as, So I've turned my internal lights off, started focusing, and then out of interest, I turned my full beams on. When I turned my full beams on, was greeted with a beautiful, large black cat in front of my car, which was as long as the width of my Vauxhall Safari and roughly about the height of my bonnet. When I turned my full beams on, it turned its head away from me and turned and didn't run, didn't run as such. It's so gracefully in its movement, kind of did one, two, and then up and over a small wall and disappeared into the fields. I didn't actually get out of my car because I was kind of in in shock. And I think my brain was trying to actually acknowledge what was actually just in front of my car. It was quite a hard thing for my brain to accept in such a short period of time what was in front of my car. But I know for a fact of what I saw, and as I've discussed it with other people and people that I've been introduced to that have more knowledge of me, I now believe that it was a, a large leopard that was in front of my vehicle going on predominantly the shape of its tail. And um, in my own research, looking into, you know, the silhouettes of large cats and things, this cat's tail was almost like a like a fridge magnet letter J, if you can imagine, just hanging there. And it was the size of the animal and the size of the, the size of the cat's head and the, the shape of the cat's head as well. And when I turned the full beams on, I then saw the cat's face and then it turned away from me. But as it started to move away from me, my main trail of vision then was its back end and how muscular and toned its hind legs were, especially the top, the top of its body, you know, where its legs joined to the body the hindquarters yeah the hindquarters it didn't look like a cat that was struggling for something to eat put it that way it looked very healthy indeed and 
having looked into it myself, I know I'm still learning and gaining as much knowledge as I can. A lot of people that have had other sightings in my local area are putting it down to being a puma. But I don't believe it was a puma that I saw. I strongly believe it was a leopard or of the leopard family, just because of the shape of its body. And the colour, presumably. And the colour. The colour of it was black. But I haven't mentioned it was actually raining that evening as well. Where I was parked was right on the border of some woodlands. Beyond the woodlands were fields. You can go from one end of the world to the other end of the world from this line of fields, you know. It was just the size of the animal, the shape of its back, where from its head, where its neck came down to its shoulders, and then the arch in its back. It's like its back dipped from its shoulders to its hind quarters. And just the way it moved for such a large animal, the way it jumped up and over this wall leading into the fields, it was like, I know it's going to sound funny, but it was like watching one of my mum's cats jump off a fence. You know, it just moved so quickly and gracefully. It's been a total game changer, to be fair, my encounter. It really has a total game changer. Yeah, we'll explore that later on if we, if we could. A very good close sighting. How close do you think it was at the closest point to your car? I've been back to uh, where I've had my sighting many a time. I've kind of paced out roughly, I'd say the cat was 15 metres in front of my car. I'm still trying to fathom out if the cat was there before I pulled over or if it's walked out in front of my car when I'd been pulled over. I kind of play it over in my mind because I'd already pulled over and when I was pulling over, as I say, it was it was pitch black in the lane that I was in. There's no road lights or anything in the lane that I was in. I could see quite far in front of me that there was no headlights. So I was kind of looking in my rear view mirror more as I pulled over, then applied my handbrake and started looking in my glove box. I'm not 100% sure if the cat was already there in front of my car when I pulled over and it's kind of paused, waiting to see what I was going to do kind of thing. And then I've sat up and put the full beams on it and then it's chosen to move. So you don't know what it was doing? I don't know what it was doing prior to me seeing it. When I set eyes on it, it was just in the middle of the lane, side on, looking at me kind of motionless. When you turn into this particular lane, you come over a brow of a hill and then the lay-by is just there on the right. In my mind, as I'm thinking it back, I've come over the brow of the hill, I've looked down the lane ahead of me, which would have looked directly over the cat, to be fair, and then I've saw no headlights were there, so I've looked in a rear-view mirror and then pulled over. So the cat could have potentially been there as I've turned into the lane and I've startled it and caught it off guard, you know. Sure. In terms of your mobile phone being charged at the time, say it had been on, on the video mode, in your hands, would you think you would have got any kind of footage, or do you think you'd have been too mesmerised, or do you think it was just too quick to get anything much anyway? I've been asked by a lot of people why I didn't take a photograph, or why I didn't try and film it, or my phone was running out of batteries, but I still would have been able to have taken a photograph at least. When my encounter took place, the last thing on my mind was to grab my phone and take a photograph because it happened in such a manner. My brain was still trying to gather the information of actually what was in front of my car. 
before I thought of, oh, I should have got my phone and took a photograph, if that makes sense. I was just 100% in awe of what was happening in front of my eyes, trying to figure out, is this someone's Great Dane that's off the lead, or no, the muzzle's too short for a dog. Oh, my Lord, it's a cat's face. My brain was just registering all this information, and then the cat was gone. And then I kind of drove off hesitantly. It wasn't for a couple of hours after my encounter that I actually sat back and went, you know what, I've just seen a cat. My brain just didn't think, grab your phone, take a photograph. Sure, and you didn't have a dash cam? I didn't have a dash cam, unfortunately, no. When you go that way now, Ben, do you hope to see it again? I'm not going to lie, I drive down that lane purposefully every time that I can. I even go there in the daytime with my family and my dog for walks and things. I doubt I'm ever going to see the cat again, but I do grace that lane a lot with the hopes that I may just get a glimpse. (laughs) And I do kind of have my phone ready every time I drive down that lane. When you're talking to people about the actuality of big cats in the Wirral, do you keep that actual spot quiet just because you don't want it disturbed? Yeah, I've not divulged. um, I mean, Matt, my good friend Matt, we're going to hear from later on. Matt is the only person alongside my wife that knows exactly where my encounter was. That's how I'd like to keep it, really, you know. Yeah. Now, just coming back to the description, you gave a great description of the form and features and characteristics of the animal. Mm. The colour in the headlights, any markings or was it just inky jet black or how would you describe it? It was jet black. The coloration of the eyes still in in my mind are quite weird though. It was just the they were like large amber marbles looking back at me. The coloration of the cat itself was black. Initially the lights were dipped beams and it was lightly raining. But when I turned the full beams on, there was kind of a, a sheen reflection back off the cat's fur, which I thought was quite magical in a way. I think you've used the terms you know, very big. I mean, compared to a German Shepherd or a Labrador, that sort of thing. Much bigger than German Shepherd, much bigger than Labrador. I drive a Vauxhall Safari. I was at the time. The cat was the length of the width of my car. So we're talking a metre and a three quarters, maybe. And height-wise, at least around 70 centimetres high. That's just measuring off my car bonnet. It was just a magical moment of realisation It really did take my breath away when I first saw those eyes reflected back at me, yeah. Incidentally, you're talking about other animals that you see on these back Mm. lanes and in the woods and fields. Do you see deer in the area? Because that would be the main big prey for these cats in most parts of Britain. I've never come across deer on the Wirral. The closest to the Wirral I've really seen deer would be on our side of Chester. You probably would get deer around that area, which is probably about six to eight miles away from where I had my encounter. does beg a question, doesn't it? Because deer in most places would be their main large prey item that's supplemented by, you know, the snacking on rabbits and pheasants and pigeons and and that sort of thing. So it does beg the question, what larger prey items they're snaffling? I have got a little story that I've been told by a few different people Mm -hmm. about a shooting range in a place called Burton. 15 to 18 years ago, which kind of coincides with Matt's sighting as well, which was around Burton. There was a sheep's carcass actually found hanging in a a low branch of a tree. I'm still trying to find photographs of this 
carcass because apparently there are photographs out there. Now, apparently this carcass was in a tree with basically its its insides gone and basically what was left was just the carcass hanging in the tree. There have been other reports of sheep on the world found in unexplainable states having been killed by something. Some people are putting it down to somebody's dog and things like that. But as I say, I'm still trying to get in contact with these people to try and pry further into this kind of trail of thoughts. Potentially, is it using sheep as its larger prey? Because we do have a lot of flocks of sheep on the Wirral, especially down on the Burton sides. Burton marshes is actually a grazing land as well. The sheep are just freely roaming on the marshes. Landowners, farmers may not even know if the odd sheep is going missing in that kind of situation. Yeah, that's it. They potentially wouldn't actually know. I've been walking out on the marshes myself with my family and children, and all of a sudden you just become aware that there's a sheep totally on its own in the marshes. And then when you look ahead a bit, there'll be a flock of sheep, but there are just sheep. This one particular instance that I'm talking about, that sheep could well have gone missing and no one would even know it wasn't with the flock, you know. The grasses and wildflowers that grow on the marshes are higher than the sheep. So it would be quite easy pickings, I'd imagine. Yes, although we tend to think that it's not their preference as a prey item, but if it's there, you know, it's an option, isn't it? We certainly do have a good stock of what we're classing as the snack foods there. We have a cracking stock of pheasants, wild birds, rabbits, hares, foxes. They are in abundance across the world. Okay. Ben, can we now concentrate on your discussions with other people? Should we go to your family first? Family, members, and um, how did they react? First person I told was my wife, and she saw how I was, and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I've just seen a large cat in the lanes. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you need to speak to my dad. So I rang my father-in-law, Les. Uh, unfortunately, he's, he passed away earlier this year with okay. COVID. He, about 25, 30 years ago, he was living in a place called Morton on the Wirral. He was doing something in his front room, basically getting ready to go to bed and things, and was just about to close over the curtains in the front room. And alongside their property was a, a path that led to a children's play area, bowling greens and things. And beyond that were fields. And apparently when my father-in-law, as his description went, when he looked, he thought one of his neighbor's dogs was walking down the middle of the road. Mm. And then when he focused, he realized it was a large cat. And a couple of his neighbors the next day, apparently they were talking. They said, did you see that last night kind of thing? They all came together to realize that what they had seen was actually a large cat walking down the middle of their road, which was quite a built-up area, you know. That's dating back to 20, 25, nearly 30 years ago. Gosh, what type of cat was that? What colour was that, uh, Ben? They're saying it was a large black cat again. Yeah, large black cat again. Les said pretty much the size of one of his neighbour's dogs. I never got to realise what breed of dogs his neighbour kept, but it's just the fact that his other neighbours kind of were aware of what was going on and things, you know. So that was my first story of someone else's encounter. So your wife didn't give you a hard time then, Ben, basically, because of that, presumably? No, she didn't give me a hard time because she knows the kind of person I am and she knows 
I'm a very outdoor person, you know, as, as well as Matt is. We've spent a lot of time learning to surf, mountain biking and things. We're always out in the, in the woods or, in, you know, in North Wales and things. So she knew by, by my um, behavior and the way that I was kind of confused and puzzled that I wasn't, um, I wasn't kind of messing around with the kind of thing, if you imagine. So, so yeah. And then she said to me, speak to my dad. So it did. And then from that, just from talking to other people, I've discovered various different stories of encounters dating back 25 30 25 20 you know up until um another another good encounter that i've been told about which was um a really good friend of of matt and i's as well was a guy called mr ross who lived in a place called gayton which has been very close to, to two of the latest sightings that have been in the media on the world and he was actually doing some gardening and he heard something against his fence his garden, by the way, is a massive garden, lovely, lovely bit of land, you know what I mean? And he said when he looked up, there was a large black cat in his garden looking at him. And apparently he just froze and didn't move, didn't do anything. And apparently the cat just carried on walking across his garden and jumped up and over his fence into woodlands that was behind his property. That cat is coming that close to an urban environment that it's actually in someone's back garden in the middle of an afternoon. It's not at night time. My encounter was it was just going dark. This was the middle of the day. Yes. And presumably it heard him and knew he was there. From what I've been told, he was on his knees weeding a flower bed. And then he heard this this rustle against one fence at the side of his garden. And when he looked up, the cat was just there in his garden looking at him. And he froze and the cat just walked across his garden and jumped up and over the fence and disappeared. Like seeing him was not a bother. The funny thing is with the two latest encounters on the world as well, one of those was at night, but that was in somebody's road in quite a built-up area. There's no direct woodland or, or footpaths or anything to link up that sighting. You're um, taking them as credible, are you? I am taking them as credible, to be fair, because the more I'm learning, and certainly after my encounter, and the more that I'm learning and discovering about the world, I do strongly believe that we have a presence of cat or cats on the world. I don't feel anymore that they're just visiting. I think they're here. Yeah, I think they're here. The momentum in the press reports this year, you know, we don't know what kind of sample there's been in past years. It it strikes me that people have got confident about reporting because they feel other people have reported it, so they don't feel the odd one out so much. And past years, there was nothing to trigger some reports. So it may have been going on for Mm. years, and you're suggesting, you know, decades, in fact, past, and there's been no prompting. So it hasn't actually been public knowledge. Not that everybody would believe these reports if they're coming to it cold, of course. I think there are people out there that are having encounters with cats that probably don't really say much to other people because they probably think, oh, I'm just going to get kind of laughed at or people are just going to go, oh, pass it off. And, you know, I do think we could find that there's a lot of that happening on the world. And as you say there, because for me, it all started off with the first encounter 
which I didn't know until after my encounter in Cavenhurst. No, it was called Ince Marshes by Ellesmere Port. Mm -hmm. And then the cat was seen again in Ellesmere Port. Then it was seen in Cavenhurst. Then obviously I had my encounter, which I haven't gone to local press and things with. I've kept to myself, although discussing it with, with a select few people. But then since then, there's been these reports coming up in the papers and they're, they're like once once a month per se. And then, you know, last month there was two in a, in a very short period of time. And yeah, I think I think people are starting to become more confident. They're like, do you know what? I'm not on my own kind of thing. Ones you've heard about that you mentioned from previous years, those would never have come up in conversation unless you had mentioned your own sighting. You wouldn't have triggered any conversation with, that would have gone in that direction, would you? You only know about it no. because you've got an interest and in it. it's on your radar suddenly. As you say, it's on my radar. It's part of my interest at the moment that I'm starting to discover this information. I'm starting to find these kind of leads and, and find other people who are happy to divulge their, their encounters and their own personal experiences, you know? Yeah, yeah. Can we take the other members of your family? You were telling me before we turned the mic on that you've got three lads. It'd be interesting to hear what they make of it, and what they make of their dad's report and what they make of the press reports. And are they bothered? What are their views? They're very, very interested and very, very supportive of my encounter. I've been back to where I've had my encounter with my wife and three boys and my dog and things. And my children will be going through the bushes, going, looking for anything, coming back to me like, Dad, I found a paw print. What do you think of this? And, you know, they're so excited. They're really interested in it, you know. They believe me, obviously, as the father. They're so excited. And, and as I say, when we do our, go out for walks, we'll be talking about it as a family. We'll be discussing it. Silly little thing, but it's like my youngest was like, Dad, there's a broken branch over there on the tree. Do you think that could have been a cat? They're so interested and so fresh to it. It's lovely to watch to watch it happening. You know, it's lovely to be part of it with them. It's brought part of the great outdoors alive to them in a different way that you, you couldn't have yes. hoped for. Just couldn't have possibly imagined. I certainly wouldn't have imagined prior to my encounter, you know. Yeah. Do you feel, though, they're only seeing the positives and the excitement and they're not thinking, you know, because it's almost abstract, isn't it? If it was sort of real and in front of them, they might be a bit sort of terrified and you've got to get them sort of more measured. You're not too worried about that at the moment. I'm not too worried about that at the moment because, as I said earlier, I do keep going back to the same country lane. I do keep going back to the surrounding woods and things. But in the daytime, there's potentially 50 families walking their dogs through those woods and, and, and around those lanes. So I don't feel under any kind of threat that anything's going to happen at that particular time. You know, I feel that my children are too young at the moment to be out on their own in a scenario where they could encounter a cat at the moment yeah they're still they're still very fresh and excited about it but obviously it, it's good to educate them at the same time towards you know potential dangers without taking an alarmist position as well presumably that's it yeah do you think they talk about it with their friends or do you think they keep it as a special little thing in the family or do you not know i know for a fact they keep it as a special little thing in the family yeah that's been down to myself, to be fair. I've never been interested in going to the press about it. I've never really been interested about a lot of people knowing about it. It took maybe a couple of weeks for me to come to the realisation that I feel privileged to have had my encounter 
I don't feel threatened by it. I don't feel freaked out or anything by it. I now just feel privileged that I'm one of the lucky people that has had an experience with a big cat in the British Isles. That might sound strange to some people, but that's how I feel about it. I feel privileged of just lucky to have been in the right place at the right time. I don't really want to create a massive awareness of what happened. Is there anything, do you think, that could change your mind? We're getting the message that you're very positive about it. It had a very positive influence on you. If it was behaving more threateningly or it could become a menace somehow, would that change your attitude? Is your attitude tolerant and positive because you feel it's actually keeping its nose clean, keeping itself to itself like they seem to be doing mostly and managing in our ecosystem without bothering people? And that's fascinating. And that's the positive side. And you're not aware of any negatives. The evidence is there that they are surviving and they are amongst us. You don't turn the radio on and hear like, um, you know, so-and-so has been attacked this morning somewhere by, by a large cat or anything, you know. I feel that they are just living amongst us and they're not bothering anyone. They're not really causing too much trouble to people. Obviously, maybe farmers and things, you know, a little bit damaging to the flocks and things like that. But if they did all of a sudden start becoming a menace, I imagine people would want to do something about that. My feelings towards that might be quite soured at the fact that I wouldn't want the cat being punished. There's only one reason those cats are in our environment. They've obviously been released or escaped or something's happened for these cats to all of a sudden be introduced to the British Isles. You know? I wouldn't want a cat kind of being hunted down or something just because it had been put into a situation or pressured where it had to turn on someone, you know. I wouldn't be supportive of somebody coming and hunting a cat down because it had turned on someone. It's a wild cat at the end of the day. It's a wild animal living out its life. There's so many different scenarios where a cat could just turn on someone and hasn't. And there has to be a reason for the fact that it hasn't. It's happy to just live amongst us and survive and do its own thing. I'd imagine there's a strong possibility that cats and people's dogs maybe off the lead or things could come into encounters. But again, I don't think the cat should be held responsible for that. In terms of awareness, public awareness, do you think things like the cluster of sightings and press reports this year has been actually helpful, even though one might argue sometimes the press hype things up a bit inevitably because, you know, the beast on the loose? How do you regard the sort of press attention, the media attention and education and awareness? Do you think it's all going in the right direction? As you say, there's been quite a lot of press attention. And yeah, I'd agree with the potential that the press are hyping up some of the stories. But as fast as the stories are coming out, there doesn't seem to be a massive reaction of, you know, oh my Lord, there's a big cat on the world kind of thing. It's, it's almost like a lot of people know. A lot of people are aware that these cats are in the British Isles. I don't think a lot of people feel majorly threatened by the existence of big cats in England. It's kind of quite a relaxed kind of approach to it at the moment, which I think is a good thing myself. What's your feeling about the degree of scepticism and the degree of acceptance and the degree of open-mindedness amongst, I don't know, parents picking up kids from school that you might see and catch the vibes from yeah. or you know in in the circles that you are in what do you think the general trends of views what are they i think it would be a very high percentage of non-believers very high percentage of non-believers to be fair 
I think it would be quite a small handful of people that would actually be able to sit down like myself and go, well, do you know what? There is. There definitely is. I wish I had a dash cam. I wish I'd taken a photograph because mine would have just been like, by the way, there it is. But it just didn't happen like that. But if there was a picture or something of my encounter, I think it would have changed people's views massively. How would you have used it, Ben, do you think? I don't know. I don't think I would have gone to the press with it myself. I would have been very cautious on who I would have shared that photograph with, you know. Probably just kept it very quiet, to be fair, because I'd rather not go public. I'd rather not. You're very keen to sort of quietly and gently learn more and follow things up. Can you tell us a bit about that? What things you're going to be doing? It's a very, very fresh subject to me. At the age of 43, I never thought I'd be spending my evenings discussing with my best friend and Googling the existence of large cats in the British Isles. I'm looking through the internet, taking notes and taking notes of sightings, times, day, and what the weather was like and things. A massive, exciting learning project for me. And as I say, yes, I do keep going down the same country lane. I do kind of keep going down there at the same evening and hoping, oh, maybe I'll see it again. You know, I'm just looking for a way of learning more about the cats, how they're existing, and how we can find evidence that they're still here, they're still doing well, not disturbing them as such, but just finding evidence of like scrapings or scat or maybe carcasses, just so in the future I can think, yep, still here he or she, sorry, is still doing well. Very low key, but just being able to acknowledge the signs that the cat's still here and still all the cats are still here and still doing well and still staying out of the public eye because they're very good at doing that. You're speculating, I know, about um, the roots and and favoured areas where it would use. Do you want to quickly tell us about that, your hunch? about what kind of key routes and favoured areas it would have in the world? This was all down to, um, again, a discussion between myself and my friend Matt, who we're going to hear from later on. We've been looking at overhead images, satellite images of the world. We haven't created any kind of um, any picture or anything that I could show you, but we were just discussing the sightings where the cat's been sighted and things like that. Obviously, Matt's on his laptop at his house. I'm on my laptop at my house. And then we were just discussing the usage of maybe an old diesel train line that runs through the world. I mean, it's known as the ghost line because it's very rare to see a train on it. It does get used for public, and I think it gets used by Royal Mail as well. But that stretches stretches basically from the centre of the world all the way out to Wrexham. That passes within one to two miles of some of the sightings out towards Cheshire Way as well. But then also linking the Wirral to Cheshire, we have a fantastic array of footpaths. You know, the Wirral Way, we've got the marsh tracks, which link over to Flintshire as well. There's been quite a lot of sightings over in Flintshire. Going back years as well, not just recently. Yes. So when you actually look at the overhead images of the Wirral, you can see the network of footpaths. You can see the train line. You can even see down the centre of the world is just a vein of country land, fields that run for miles and miles and miles, which is probably two miles in width as well, this vein of fields. A cat could quite happily just meander through there at any point of time in the day. No one would know. 
I've been out into the middle of a lot of these fields numerous times. And when you're there, you can't hear a single thing around you. You can't hear any of the hustle and bustle of the cars on the motorways or anything. You're literally out in the middle on your own. Even though it's a very busy semi-industrial landscape elsewhere close by. That's it. Within one or two fields, either way, you could be at the motorway or you could be at a main town. Yeah, well, so good for you to give us this start of the introduction to Wirral. And thank you for linking us with Matt, who's coming next. And it's good that you're a double act of investigators now. And you live locally to it. Sometimes people investigate areas they've got to make long journeys to, but it's right on your doorstep. And you guys know it, have known it for years, grown up there. So It's right on our doorsteps. Matt is very lucky in where he lives. He can throw a tennis ball from his house to the marshes. He walks on the marshes pretty much every night. I just feel absolutely privileged that I had my encounter. And I've certainly met some fantastic people from having that encounter. So it really has been a game changer in, in life, you know, it really has. So The sceptics don't know what they're missing, do they? No, they, no, they really don't, Rick. They really don't. As I say, I certainly wouldn't imagine I'd be involved in something as amazing as this, you know what I mean? So it really is a brilliant subject to be involved in. One day it will become more mundane and more routine. <laughs> it does happen like that, yes. I can assure you, when you get to how many years I've been doing it. But what's nice for, for me to listen to people like you coming to terms with it and this excitement and this mixed emotions and everything and thinking how you, how you can catch up with them or keep tabs on them when they're so desperately difficult to. If my phone hadn't have been running out of batteries just at that moment where I needed to pull over and the whole little scenario of events leading up to the fact that when I sat up, there was a, a black leopard in front of my car. A few seconds either way and your life would be... <laughs> and my life would just be carrying on as normal and I wouldn't be Google imaging the comparisons of pumas and, and black leopards most evenings to be sure of what I actually saw, you yeah, know. brilliant. <laughs> Yeah. Great to talk it through with you. I'm sure uh, listeners have picked up these emotions you have about coming to terms with it and being still in the excitement phase, wanting to keep monitoring it, which is great. I mean, and I think you're in mm. a good company. There's people all across the country that I know of and, you know, we're starting to hear of from the podcast that are doing this quiet, subtle, behind the scenes, yeah. trying to keep tabs on it. Isn't it interesting that so many people have taken the same view that <laughs> you keep just below the radar? Yeah. I think it's a lovely thing to acknowledge because prior to hearing it from your voice now, I've never really thought of it that way. But it is nice to know that there are other people out there with a similar attitude of just want to maintain kind of knowledge that they're still here and they're still doing well and nothing's affecting them too much, you know what I mean? If the cats are living with us being as stealthy as they are, maybe a couple of people being as stealthy to look after them could go quite far if you know what I mean yeah well good luck with everything we will have more from Cheshire urban fringes of the northwest because there's other reports going on and other people have got in touch with us from the podcast sort of listeners and said they're interested and they we'd love you to have more from the northwest I know we've got one lined up from the Runcorn area and I know Runcorn has had sightings so that's coming soon Meanwhile, thanks so much, Ben, for starting us off on this journey into the Wirral and its Black Leopards. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure, and thank you very much for having me, Rick. It's been fantastic.
Our next guest, Matt, is also someone who is based in the Wirral, and we're going to get his perspective on the potential big cat activity there and hear about his own particular experience. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Nice to be on the show, Rick. Glad to be here. Thanks, Matt. I guess, first of all, it'd be good to know about your particular experience of big cats in the Wirral. Roughly when did it happen and what happened? It was about 18 years ago now. It was in the evening. The sun was just starting to set and I was on my bike with one of my friends going into the back of some woods which are local to us. And we used to ride mountain bikes around the woods because there was lots of things to jump off when I was that age when I would be jumping off things on a bike. (laughs) We just drove up on the bikes down a, a lane to the back of these woods. As you come to the gateway you can get the bike over into the woods it's all overgrown with trees so it's quite a dark lane and then at the end of the lane it splits off into two drives fairly long drive to two houses as we're approaching the gate to the end of these drives which are about 40 yards away from us we noticed an animal sitting on the end of the driveway clinging to the hedge about a meter off the hedge it was just sitting there quite happily we stopped on the bikes and I was just like, oh, there's a dog there. And then we looked at it and we're like, that isn't a dog. It doesn't look like a dog. So it was black, pure black silhouette because it was like quite dark beyond it. And then just the way it was sitting and its head didn't look like any dog that I know of. I've kept big dogs. Our family's had like a lot of boxes in the family. I know people who've got big dogs. When I was looking at it, my brain just wasn't computing dog. It was computing something else, which I couldn't really comprehend when we were looking at it. And it just sat there for about five seconds as we were looking at it. And then we sort of realized that it definitely wasn't a dog. And what was it? And at about that point, it just changed from a sitting upright position so it's like facing us with its legs in front. So it's just sitting upright. It went onto all fours, low to the ground, and then at speed shot off along the hedge line towards us by about 10 metres and then went straight into the woods. But as it turned, we got the profile of the animal. It was just not a dog. It didn't act like a dog. I would have expected the dog around there to start barking at me or at least come over and investigate and say hello. But this just shot off in the manner of a cat and it had a big tail which followed it into the bushes. That was virtually all I saw. So the whole event lasted for maybe 15 seconds in total from when it decided to go off into the woods. Everything about it after it happens, we're just like, oh my God, that was a cat. How can it be a cat? There aren't any cats here. I've never heard of any cats here. I mean, at that point, I'd heard of cats in the 70s getting released and like the Beast of Exmoor, things like that. But absolutely no stories in the local area of a big cat. But just the shape of it, the profile, the ears, the size of the face and the, the muzzle on the face, it just screamed cat. To this day, I can still picture it happening. The more I picture it, it hasn't changed the the image which it's left imprinted in my memory. It was just like, that was a big cat. 
my friend with me at first was convinced it was a dog. But then we actually went into the woods afterwards. And like my adrenaline was going. I was just convinced there was no way that was a dog. It just didn't act like any dog I'd seen. And then when we went into the woods and we talked about it, my friend was of the same opinion. He was like, you know what, the more I think about it, that wasn't a dog. But how can it be anything else but a dog? And then we were just like, yeah, but the face of it and the ears and the tail and the way it crouched down on the floor, it's just not what I'm used to with dogs and what they would do. The scale of it compared to a a Labrador or a German Shepherd, what sort of scale? When it was sat upright, its head would have been just above my hips. When it moved along the hedge line, its body was something like five foot long. And then with the tail, it was like quite a long animal, really. Quite muscular in the legs. The legs were quite thick. That was another thing that stood out when we were talking about it later. We were just like, the legs weren't right for a dog either. So the more we sat there and discussed it, the more we were convinced. Did it seem genuinely sort of wild and knowing its place and confident? It seemed very confident that the fact we were 40 yards away from it. I do archery, so I can judge distances quite well. So it was definitely about 40 yards away. It was just really strange encounter. Well, particularly with no context, no background, no history, there weren't lots of press reports in those days, other than, as you say, of, no. in a far-off region down in the southwest. And, yeah, so it was an extra shock to you guys. Yeah, it was just really strange the way it was looking at us and not panicking. It was looking at us to see what we were doing, probably how we were going to react. But when we just stood there and looked at it, it just stood there and looked back at us. And then quite casually but quickly decided didn't want to be there and then legged it forward a bit and then shot straight off into the woods and these woods are really old woods it's like a documented wood which has been there for for like quite a few hundred years lots of tree fall lots of places to hide like if you literally walk 30 yards away from someone you can't see them whereabouts in the Wirral is this Burton At the back of that, you've got fields for quite a while. Beyond those fields, there's another little wooded area, which as a kid, we always used to go in. That is ferns, fir trees. It's got an old quarry in there. It's really overgrown. See quite a lot of wildlife around there. It's like quite a noisy wood as such. You know, you can hear the wildlife in it. I've got a map of the Wirral up in front of me now as we look. Although I was born in Chester, we moved away when I was three and a half, so I don't really know the Wirral or Cheshire that well, so I'm having to look at the map. So this is actually southwest corner of the Wirral Peninsula, is that right? Yeah, that's about right, yeah. Fringing with lots of wetlands, so a whole gradation of wildlife habitats and all the different wildlife that would be there. Foxes, badgers, lots of fowl, the marshes, like you say, it's a wetland. It's everything from your typical marshy mud to gullies, grassland, big, tall reed beds, sort of reed beds you'd walk across through, and all you can hear is the reeds blown in the wind. There's that much of them. It's probably the perfect habitat if a big cat was going to be mooching around looking for something. It's probably ideal. 
Okay, if we can get on to the further experiences you've had then. So I used to live in another little village from near where I live now, which is basically just down the road, which is a place called Park Gates. Park Gates, an old coastal town where it used to be an old port. Since the straightening of the River Dee, the silt has built up and that's what's created the marsh around our area over the years. If you look back about 70 years, it was golden sand. Nowadays, it's just grassland and tidal marsh. I used to live in a house down in Parkgate, and like I say, we used to keep big dogs and little dogs. But the bigger dogs were the ones that I've had at least four experiences with them. So I used to have boxers, I had a big white boxer, and we had a, another big boxer, which was like a sandy coloured boxer. They're both of different ages, like one had died and then we got a different one. And both of them had exactly the same reactions. Some nights when I was out walking them on what we call the Wirral Way. So the Wirral Way is an old disused railway track. And there's no railway track down there. It's just a coastal walk as such. I'd take the dogs for a walk down there. There's two levels to this path. There's like a, a higher embankment path and a lower path where the train track used to be. And they're both adjacent to each other, and you can take either one when you're walking along it. If you prefer the more manicured path, you go on the lower one. If you prefer the more wild one, you go on the upper one. So I'd always take them on the upper one. There was a, a certain field, and both of the dogs, whilst walking along the field, so I'd, I'd often take them out about six to nine o'clock at night. So Levi, the white boxer, one night, the way he reacts to, to any dogs is that he would just growl and he'd go on guard, hackles up, and he'd be like getting really agitated, running around to see if he could find the dog that he'd, he picked up on the scent. And then he'd probably go and investigate. But these specific times, he just stopped and he's a dog who would pull and pull and pull. But these times, probably about twice with Levi, just stopped in his tracks and look at me, I just like looking at him going, what's going on? So you are in the middle of nowhere. Times the night I'd go out, there, there wouldn't really be anyone around. He just stopped and wouldn't go anywhere. And then he'd start whining on these occasions. And he, he was just looking ahead and to the left into a field by a bridge which goes over the Wirralway. And he just wouldn't move. Then he started a low growl. And he's looking straight ahead, and I couldn't see what he was looking at. I had a torch, but it still didn't pick anything up. But he was rooted to the spot on both occasions for at least about five minutes and wouldn't go anywhere. He just sat there, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And I was just like, what the hell is that? Don't know what it was. But eventually, five minutes later, he carried on, but really cautiously. And he's like looking around behind us, sniffing the air really reluctant to go anywhere and that happened twice and it was a similar reaction both times did you make a conclusion as to what it could have been or did you just have an open mind or did you think fairly quickly it could be a cat you might laugh because these were after my experience in burton woods i did pick up on the way he was picking up on that it's not a dog so what can it be he reacts different to people he's not bothered about people he wouldn't stop in his tracks. So 
your mind goes racing, going, what, 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 what's speaking in? So I didn't jump to a conclusion that it was a cat. But this was until I'd spoken to my mother, who was walking Levi one night on a lower path that goes parallel. It's more open, she felt a bit more safer. And then one night, she was walking down this path and she was coming up to a bridge which crosses over a little stream. And then she swore that she saw a black animal, assumed it was a dog, walk straight off into the marsh. Where this little bridge is, this little stream, it's a whole tunnel all the way alongside this field and it's totally overgrown over the top of it. But you could actually walk into it. You'd have to crouch a bit, but you could go along this whole field for about 300 yards until it comes out at the end of the field and then it's, it's adjacent to this Wirraway path, which I used to walk the dogs on. After that, two and two together, go on about another five years when we had the other boxer, Ozzy. He's a bit of a wild, jumpy dog. Jumps around, spins around on his lead when he wants to, but you know, most of the time he's, he's under control, to be honest. Exactly the same reaction. Coming up to this bridge again, then 200 yards past this bridge is the stream which runs along the field, which is all under the brambles and vegetation. Stopped in his tracks again. Didn't want to move anywhere. Wasn't whining, but wouldn't budge. And he's just looking at me and looking ahead to the hedge line along the upper path. And then he wanted to go back. I convinced him that there was nothing there. Very reluctantly, he carried along the path, but instead of usually been in front of me and pulling on the lead a bit he was like at my side and just kept pace with me he seemed fairly nervous but yet again I didn't see anything just carried on walking I mean the experience I had where the cat knew I was there in the woods didn't attack me didn't make any aggressive movement towards me it was just very controlled in its mannerism so I had no reason to think I was going to be attacked or anything by a cat. So, you know, I just carry on as normal. Just those four occasions, just to have these reactions with the dogs was just totally out of the ordinary. And I'm looking at Parkgate. That would have been, I'm guessing, a couple of miles north of where you had your sighting. Yeah. So from Burton Woods to Parkgate, yeah, it's about three to four miles away. And then looking at the map as well, just same distance north of Park Gate is Heswell, where the cluster of sightings has been this summer that has been in our papers. Yeah. That's what, 18 years on, we're now getting a cluster of sightings in the same area. And there's a golf course between Park Gate and Heswell and similar coastal marshes and coastal farmland. Where I live now, if I walk to the bottom of my garden, walk to the bottom of my neighbour's garden... I'd be straight onto the marsh in the wildlife sanctuary. Lots of birds. You can hear the birds every night. You can hear the geese. Well, the Canadian geese have started flying in. There's lots of herons, lots of sparrowhawks. There's quite a lot of raptors. And we're talking right at the end of September for listeners, because obviously this one will air in late into October. Now, in terms of meeting people and bumping into people and being prepared to open up a conversation these days compared to when you first had the sighting when you were much younger, what kind of local grapevine things do you hear about big cats? 
over the years, I've asked a few people. Recently, because of the sightings in Heswell, I have asked a few people who go hunting on the marsh. Most of them have not really said they've seen anything that they can, like, you know, categorically say, yeah, I've seen a cat. There's another guy who goes shooting on the marsh and he says he's seen things, but he wouldn't talk about it. He was just like, I've seen things, but that's as much as I'm going to say. He didn't really want to talk about it. Understandably, some people might not want to talk about it or they, they can't believe what they've seen. I don't know what his reasons were. These are people who are wildfowling on the marsh? Yeah, they are. You're still allowed to do that in some areas on the marsh. There's lots more people who go out there. I've only spoken to a couple of people I know who know the marsh. And when I've told them my story, they're not in the least surprised, which is the more interesting reaction for me. It's like, why aren't you surprised? Yeah, yeah. What do you make of the recent reports? We just mentioned um been a busy year in, in the Wirral. Definitely. Are you surprised that years on, it's the same area? Well, first of all, I feel privileged to have actually seen a large cat. And then to have these reports roughly 20 years. I mean, there was a sighting in Chester, which has been in a lot of the press, where a driver pulled over and took a photograph of a cat crossing the field by the River Dee in Chester. Coincidentally, I had actually been fishing around that exact field about a week earlier for pike, but we didn't see anything down there. Maybe you flushed it out for him to see. (laughs) Well, it doesn't surprise me. And the recent sightings around here seem quite plausible. Well, they seem very plausible. We'll put a link to that article on the website so people can see that photo for themselves. It's just one still photo of a suspiciously big-looking black cat-shaped blob in the distance. Knowing that field, it's pretty big. Because of the distance and probably because it's on a mobile phone, the resolution isn't great. So it's, it's one of those photographs again where it might be, it might not be, but make your own judgment. Yeah, it's worth looking at. Definitely. It's not one that you automatically scoff at. No. I mean, the ones in Heswell, there was a report of a panther walking down the middle of a street. The guy who saw it said it was injured and he'd heard a bit of a a fight beforehand. I've got no reason to disbelieve that person either because like just below where that street is it goes straight onto a big field and that big field goes straight onto miles and miles of agricultural fields and footpaths that there will be no one walking on them lots of rabbits lots of wildlife there's a few roads in them but they're really really quiet roads i saw a cat 18 years ago if that cat is bred I mean, I don't know what the possibilities of a cat breeding around here would be. I wouldn't put it past the, to be a group of them being slightly territorial around there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's how you have to think about it. The time interval you're talking about seems you would have seen one a generation previously. Yeah, it does surprise me that where that cat was sighted, I would have imagined with, with the advent of a lot of people putting cameras on their properties, like on the doorbells. And I imagine a lot of them are uh, movement activated. 
I was hoping that someone had caught it, but it doesn't seem like anyone had caught this cat on the camera. Yeah. Well, of course, somebody might have done, but not be owning up and showing it. Possibly. <laughs> it's a shame if they are. Sometimes I do hear, I suppose a handful of times, people have had extremely good footage and gone straight to the police with it because they thought that's what you should do and that's where it stayed. <laughs> so it's never got out to the press, it's never got out to the wider world. I'm not saying the police are very deliberately covering things up. I think each time it happens, they just feel, oh, this is a bit awkward, you know, we'll keep it to ourselves and um, not a lot we can do or say about it. So That's the right term, awkward. I'd imagine that a lot of people would have varying reactions to knowing there was a, a large cat walking around their neighbourhood or their locality. As you're sensing, I think, people do tend to keep it low-key if they know it's real and keep it to themselves. And I mean, sometimes people have little code names for it. People in the know will refer to it as a name. Just tactics, you know, their own little secret, and they feel it's not like you feel. It's not bothered. It wasn't threatening. Yet in abstract, if you were just told about a big cat living wild in that area, you might think, wow, that's potentially dangerous. But you've sort of sensed that it wasn't. Um, instinctively automatically dangerous it was just very strange when i saw the cat my own chemical body reaction to it it wasn't like i'd seen a dog it was just like some other senses went off in me and instinctively knew something that i hadn't seen before was something else it was just very strange how does it affect you now you know as a citizen and somebody interested in the local environment does it make you feel on edge now or excited? Um, I'm more excited that there's the possibility and I don't really get on edge. When I go for a walk now, maybe of an evening, with the recent sightings, it makes me more heightened in, a, in awareness of what's around me. But I've sort of always been like that when I'm out anyway because I like to see what wildlife's around. Well, you found... You sent me a photo this week of a potential dropping a, a scat. As you know, I was a bit cautious at first, but it's grown on me a great deal. And if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> I would quite like to put it on the website. If we could put that picture of the scat yeah, that you fine. took, because it's it's a good example of the possible one. And it's certainly one, I think if you got a fresh one like that, as I said, you know, we might consider testing it. The one you found is quite dry and hair filled and it's not more moist meaty fleshy type one if you're going to do a dna test it's best to have a fairly fresh one which has still got mucous membrane that sort of wet sort of outer layer it's the cells there that they're going to find from the host animal really if you go into the content of the scat the dropping you're going to get more likely a result of what's in the dropping so the prey items it was a good candidate. You describe it for us um, and why you thought it was a candidate. I was walking on the marsh, looking ahead, and then this long white object just stood out within the, the marsh grasses, just off to the side of the path. Normally, I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, I've seen fox scar, I've seen like badger scar, and various other animals. This just stood out because of its length for a start. It was about 30 to 40 centimetres long. As you say, it was white, but the end of it was quite dark. So 
I took a closer look at it only because of my peaked interest in the area. I sort of had a look at it. I had looked at an article recently about tracking leopards and I noticed that the picture matched the picture I'd seen. I was like, ah, oh, it can't be. It can't be. So I, I took a picture of it because when I looked at it closer, I was like, oh my God, it's crammed with fur. There was absolutely no vegetation like berry seeds or anything like that which is what i'd sort of expect from a, a fox maybe especially at this time of the year because blackberries everywhere yeah foxes are not strict carnivores so they'll eat vegetation whereas it does look like a wild carnivores yeah as you say top to the bottom of it was just totally matted fur i mean around here on the marsh there's quite a few rabbits lots of rats the marsh is like full of rats, but then all the fields there are just full of rabbits. So presumably I'd be guessing it was rabbit fur. It is still out there. Should you want me to go and get it? What I think you should do, I haven't looked at the photo up close, but maybe have a look as soon as you can. These are big assumptions. Assuming it is genuinely a big cat's deposit and assuming that big cat is a big black one, black leopard, the melanistic leopard, if there's any black hairs within that lighter coloured scat, they could be from the host animal, the grooming hairs from the host animal. Now, those would give you a DNA result, particularly if you've got two or three of them. Sometimes you need more than one. You need the medulla, the root cells from the hairs to get a DNA result. So maybe have a look at it and see if there's any hairs which contrast and seem a, a bit different and a more black colour and extract them and we'll have a think about testing them because they'll they'll keep as it were you know you'll still get a result from them i should have realized that and thought about that when we were discussing it on our phones earlier in the week i mean if you zoom in on that photo you can quite clearly see the structure of it tightly matted fur and it's quite dollar piece segmented which they are depends on the content as well but they also do look like just big scale domestic cat droppings that you might see in a, in a litter tray. Yeah, so do check for black hairs in it. I'll have a look. I'll have a look when I next go out, probably tomorrow evening or maybe even this evening. Brilliant. Okay. Now, what do you think about attitudes in the Wirral generally because of the press reports? Do you think it's been influential at all? Have you any sense as a resident there as to whether attitudes are changing and awareness might be raising? Well, since the story came out, I mean, a lot of people locally know about it. The opinions I've heard vary from definitely. What what else can it be? Really believing in, in the descriptions that the people have, have given to the newspapers. And then other people, it's the other end of the spectrum, where the disbelief. I mentioned the story to my sister, for instance, and she just laughed at me. She was like, there's no big cat around here. On what basis does she say that? Just total disbelief. How can there possibly be a big cat roaming around? What are people thinking even talking about a story like that? So she never believed in your one when you were younger? No, she was in total disbelief. I mean, she accepted that I've seen something, but my mum's totally different. She totally believes in it. I mean, it just varies from people who are open-minded to people who are very closed about it. I must say it did sort of like make some people a bit cautious in going out to walk their dogs from what I've heard from a few people. 
that they they just became a bit wary in the recent days after the article came out. Like, for instance, my mum didn't want to take her dog out for a walk. I was just like, look, if you did see something, you're going to be lucky in the first place to see something. The likelihood of anything doing any harm to you is very, very low. She did go out, but she wouldn't take the dog for a walk at a certain time of night. She would do before the article, and she said a lot of her neighbours would talking about it it was it was a bit of the talk of the town really but yeah there was there's no one panicking i love the fact that a big cat population can be part of our ecosystem even though it's an alien animal into our ecosystem it does interest me and, and amaze me that a lot of these cats are supposedly come from um the 70s wasn't it when the wild cats were released they've just got on with it kept themselves to themselves the way they are and the way they're territorial with a quite large distance in between themselves. It's not like they're going to have a dramatic impact on a, an area because of just their general animalistic nature and the way that they are. If they were going to exclusively take important ground nesting birds, I think you know maybe we could say, yeah, that is a problem. If all the snipe went or something, then you know, it might occasionally take a snipe or ground nesting bird but more often deer, rabbits, pheasants, rats, pigeons, which is a lot of people see as sort of vermin control. Yeah, they're doing doing a job. You see it as a positive. I see it as a great thing that has acclimatised itself to our island. When I go out for a walk in an evening, I've been out places around here. I have been in places where an animal coming towards me through reed beds for instance that seems bigger than a fox but yet i haven't seen anything and then uh, it's like your senses go up but you know obviously i'm not going to jump to a conclusion that a cat is walking past me in amongst all the bulrushes and stuff like that but that has happened to me before it just makes me appreciate the environment i'm in a bit more i think since my experience and i'm more aware of what's going on around me and what's what's walking past me or hiding in a tree or camouflaging itself somewhere and it's like spotting them not necessarily cats because i'm not looking for cats all the time but part of me does look for signs these days it's interesting that this environment you're saying is very wildlife rich has potentially got plenty of things on the menu for a large carnivore you're not seeing an environment with lots of deer in, which is what we're having in most of the other locations where the cats are reported. You may get more deer going towards Chester, which, you know, I have seen deer out Chester way. And having seen the amount of owls I see around here, like that tells me there's a lot of prey for those as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of prey birds around here as well. So there must be a thriving Small mammal population. Yeah. Have you thought about putting trail cameras up in places? I have got a trail camera. I haven't put it to use, but after speaking to yourself and one of my friends who's had an experience, there are areas that I know of which we're going to go and look at because it seems an ideal place to go and look, to be honest, because of the type of wildlife there and the situation and the cover and the vegetation around there, and the, the secludedness of it. They uncover a whole you know, new world for you, whether you get a big cat or not. They're still interesting. Definitely for my daughter to see the wildlife in just our back garden. 
she can't quite believe some of the things that you see on that, like the hedgehog and the badgers and the foxes, a face sniffing the camera. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Thank you very much, Matt. Feels like we've had a real exploration of the wildlife of the Wirral through you, and it sort of um, opened up a whole new world because it's, it's not really much on the national radar, the Wirral, but it is getting attention because of the big cats. And so nice to hear about it from you. Well, it's just an obscure projection of land <laughs> with Liverpool flanking it one side and, and an industrial estate on the other side of it. So I can understand why it would get missed, to be honest. No one would think in the middle of this is this little green oasis of pretty secluded landscape. But the cats haven't missed it. No, no, they haven't. Yeah, brilliant. It was good talking to you. It's interesting. Yeah, lovely. Well, thank you. I'm sure listeners really appreciate it, Um, Matt. Thanks ever so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. I shall keep you up to date with any findings that we find. Okay, we have a couple of brief updates to follow up our discussions with Ben and Matt. First of all, Ben has received details of a new sighting in the past month, October 2021, in the Wirral. It was in the same general area as the summer sightings, but it was a bit away from the residential area of Heswell. It was a clear and credible sighting of a black panther-like cat. It was one that came directly to Ben through family contacts. So there's an example that there are more reports occurring than we ever get to know about from the media or Facebook and the like. In terms of the scat, the dropping that Matt found, well, Matt went to the marsh and recovered it soon after our discussion. We're not going to present any hairs from that one for testing, but as we heard, Matt is on the lookout for more such scats and any other signs. This takes us on to words of the week, because we have the term occupancy survey. An occupancy survey in ecology is the process of detecting the presence and the distribution of a species in a particular area. For mammals, you can do that through searching for their signs, especially their droppings and their prey remains, and also using camera traps. More elaborate methods can involve radio collaring, detection dogs to sniff out scats, or hair traps to snag hairs as the animal passes a tree or post. Obviously, the more resources you have and the more sampling you can do, the more confident you can be of the results. Many of us are trying to do a type of informal occupancy survey in our local areas for any big cats, using things like trail cameras and looking for signs like scat and prey remains. But it's challenging with rare and stealthy animals, of course, even in official studies, let alone for our homespun efforts. Anyway, this is all a good example of citizen science that may help us learn about potential large cats in different areas of Britain. So good luck to Ben and Matt with their occupancy survey on black panthers or black leopards in the Wirral. Now, this week, as I speak in mid-late October 2021, we are watching events unfold in northern France, south of Calais where a puma has been reported several times since the first reported sighting on 13th of October. The animal is presumed by the French police to be an undeclared pet, in their words. There have been several known cases of such cats being seen in France in recent years, and as far as we know, none of them have been found and recovered. 
This present situation has met with mixed reactions across different organisations and people. For example, the French Farming Union has played down concerns about possible impacts on livestock from this cat, and a petition with over 40,000 participants at change.org has called for the cat not to be killed if it is tracked down. We've put some snippets on this case on our website under episode 62. Also, alongside it, we've put a couple of links to another alleged Puma case, this time in mid-France, which was the subject of a TV documentary in 2019. So more on the Big Cat Conversations website on all of that. If we can, we will try and do an episode in the future with French witnesses of large cats seen in France. So if anyone can help with that one, please get in touch on email. We have done an addition on a case in Spain in the past. That was episode 15, if you're interested and haven't heard that one. For our next episode, we are back to Scotland. One of our guests will be describing a stalking incident that she witnessed directly from her property with a large cat following people. We'll also hear about the sightings that occurred in the south of Edinburgh over the summer, when several people reported a black panther in residential gardens. In terms of our longer list, we've recently heard of a very clear and close report of a panther stalking fallow deer on Cannock Chase, which is a heathy forest area of Staffordshire. We've mentioned before that it would be good to hear from any witnesses from Cannock Chase if they'd like to be on the show. So please get in touch if you can help with that one. OK, we're closing out now. So thanks again to our guests Ben and to Matt for their help with this edition. As ever, thanks for listening, everyone, and hope you can join us next time. If you hear these on schedule, the next edition is likely to be in three weeks. Take care and bye for now.